The next two recordings were given on Wednesday with Brother Clifford Pruitt presiding. Wednesday morning, Brother Charles T. Kelly, his subject, Perilous Times. We have reading in And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God nor regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? The next portion is at 2 Timothy 3. Second Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, pride, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful unholy, without natural affection, truce-breakers, false-abusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those who are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. This morning, Brother Charles T. Kelly is going to speak to us. I believe he has just as important a message for us as he could possibly have thought of or found the expedient at this time. And his term for it is perilous times. Good morning, brothers, sisters, and friends of Bible School. In these readings that uh, Brother Pruitt read, I hope you got what the thought there that I had connected between the two. That the words there of Christ, in spite of the fact that we know that God in his righteousness is coming to judge 
the world knows therein. He is going to judge it, not what we think of as righteousness in the human viewpoint, but from his viewpoint of righteousness. And from his viewpoint of righteousness, when he looks at the world at the coming of Christ, will he find faith on the earth? Now that is the question which uh, we have heard many times throughout our lives in the truth. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Now then the words there in Timothy, that Paul wrote, tell us why it might very well be that he will not find faith on the earth when he returns. Because the descriptions of the times, the perilous times that Timothy speaks of, is a description of this very day in which we live. These characteristics of the world around us, which we too have to watch for, that we don't absorb into our own selves, are the very reasons why this is a very pertinent question to our day and time, because we know that we live very near the day of the return of our Lord. And we have to continually ask ourselves, will he find faith when we think of it from this standpoint? Now Paul in his description of these perilous times is not speaking of physical peril. Physical peril is not entering into his thoughts at this time. We know that Paul withstood terrible physical peril as he listed in places in the scriptures. But that is not his thought at this place. His thought is a spiritual peril that has come upon the world at the time that he would describe it. And Christ, in the words of Matthew 10 and 28, tells us why it is these spiritual perils that we should fear so greatly. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. This type of destruction is the type of destruction that comes from the perilous times that Paul was speaking of, a destruction of both our soul and our body. Death to us should hold no threat, no fear, because we are assured that even in death we are still near to God in that we have the chance for a resurrection and a hearing before Christ at the judgment. And it is not for our physical well-being or our physical uh, defects that we'll be judged at the judgment seat, but it is for our spiritual condition at that time. Now, as I said, I believe that this time in which we live holds more spiritual peril than at any time in the history of the body. At least so in the time in the more or less modern times. And it is not only a uh, peril for the body itself, but for each individual therein. 
and it's not going to get any better. For Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 12-13, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So knowing these things, we have a double responsibility in our lives. And that is that we have to keep our own selves, individually, as pure as we possibly can in spiritual things. And we have to work together, as Brother Jim Stanton has brought out in his class, as to try our best to keep the body itself in this pure state that is so pleasing to God. Now in the study this morning, I referred to Dr. Thomas's writings in Eureka. But there he takes the letters to the seven ecclesias and not only applies them as a historical thing that happened in two bands or a prophecy of the thing that was to come on them, but he likened it to a spiritual deterioration of not only of these churches, these ecclesias, whichever we prefer to call them, but to the body of, as a whole through the years. And it may very well be that we are entering into, or we are already, I feel, into another phase of this very thing, that wherein the body itself may deteriorate, we hope not to the point that the body at that time did, but it is the thing that we have to guard against, otherwise it surely will. Now that time that the was a great concern there was starting during the time of John and it climaxed with the paganism entering into the so-called Christian church and uh, we know where that has led to to the so-called Christianity as we know it around us. But John wasn't just writing to those brethren at that time for he said he that hath an ear let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So as we look at these various ecclesias and the letters that were written to them, well, let us see if our own ears can detect what the Spirit saith to the churches. Now, in the limited time that I have this morning, I'm not going into these various letters. I'm not going to try to read them. But to pick out a spiritual point that was brought out in their description, showing where they stood, each of them, uh, spiritually in their position with God. And it will end finally in a pitiful description of the Laodicean group that we hope to escape in our country. Now the first message was sent to the church at Ephesus. They were commended for their good works and for their trial of those that brought up things that evidently were not true. Yet they were warned of a very serious fault that had befell them, and that is that they had lost their first love. And I believe that a very good description of what it might involve in losing the first love is the same that Israel did when they declared at Sinai in Exodus 19 and 8, when God gave them the commandments and things that they were to do, they told him, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They were zealous 
They had no doubt in their mind that they were going to obey God after seeing the things that they had seen Him demonstrate there. And we do the same thing at our baptism. When we take upon us the obligation to obey the Lord, and especially the commandment which Christ terms as the first, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. That is our declaration of our first love. These brethren had lost that first love. Their minds were no longer full of the spiritual things that they had taken on themselves when they first started their spiritual life. Now, under this condition, they might remain doctrinally strong for some period of time. Yet they were very definitely of a weakened condition because under this condition, they were, as our body gets, when it gets in a weakened condition, they were open to infection and sicknesses that could arise from the spiritual standpoint, just the same as our bodies arise, uh, arrive at the point where, when it's weakened, that we are open to infections and sicknesses that can come in. So leaving this first ecclesia, let us go to the one at Smyrna and see a little more about what has happened. Now they too were commended for their good works and for their endurance in the things of the Spirit. And they had no definite faults that were pointed out at this time to them. They seemed to have been on a level plane with the first ecclesia that was written to them. There wasn't seemingly, possibly, in their spiritual lives, anything out of the ordinary happened. But they were warned that there were things that were going to come. They received this warning that there were very definite uh, troubles ahead for them. And that if that they, we can see now looking back, that why these troubles would be so important, if they were in this weakened condition of having lost their first love, Maybe they were a little complacent toward their lives and the spirit because of the fact that they had lost their first love. But we know that in the smoothness of life, and we have things that we more or less want them, that we tend to get careless, and that could be the condition of this Smyrna and Ecclesia. Now then, as we come down to the next Ecclesia at Pergamos, we see a change has come about, a drastic change. And I feel that this change was due to the fact that they had lost their first love and that they had failed to heed the warnings that were pointed out to them in the letter to the Ecclesia at Smyrna. They had two evil elements that were spoken of here that had entered into the body at that time. One was the Balaamites and the other the Nicolaitans. Now those words are very similar in meaning, if not the same. One, as Dr. Thomas points out in Eureka, the Balaamites means the spoilers of the people. And he says the Nicolaitans means the vanquishers of the people. So it's a very similar thing. And possibly there might be a little difference that I may bring out here to your satisfaction. Now the Balaamites makes us think of Balaam in the days of Israel. 
who evidently was a believer in God because we know that he, he definitely believed that God was the one true God and he sought his advice. But when it came to the point of choosing between God and his personal greed and the esteem of men around him, he chose to bring into the nation of Israel or to let come into the nation of Israel outside influences that brought on their deterioration of the nation pleasing to God. So in the very words there of his name, the meaning of his name, he was a spoiler of the people. So in the time of this letter to Pergamos, there were those in their group that for the esteem of man, for their own fleshly greed, were willing to sacrifice the purity of the truth to bring in the ways of the world. The Nicolaitan Bible possibly might refer to a slightly different group of people because they vanquished the people. And it, uh, it, as I gather from Dr. Thomas, that he thought that might apply to those in the body that, as Paul says, they rest the scriptures to their own discretion. They take the scriptures themselves and arrive at false conclusions and use those conclusions to the detriment of the body itself. So we have that this ecclesia then was willing to have in their midst these very types of things. And they are still at work in our day to day. This is part of the warning that comes down to us because we know that we have these two elements. We have those in the truth, in the body today, that rest the scriptures, as we say, to their own destruction. And we have those that are willing to sacrifice for the sake of the flesh, for the esteem of the world and other men around, to bring into the body of Christ those things that are foreign to it and that bring on a state of deterioration in its purity. So there again, we have this warning that has come down to us, as it says, to those that have ears to hear. Now then, the next step we come to is another one down. The message to the church at Thyatira. Now this is one that would naturally follow in sequence the conditions that were in the previous one that we have just studied. They had in their midst that woman Jezebel, as it speaks, described as seducing the people of God. And if we go back to the time of Israel, we know that Jezebel was an alien to the nation of Israel that was brought in through marriage, incorporated through marriage into the nation of Israel, and from her alien practices of idol worship and fornication, Israel's social and religious life deteriorated to the point that God had to cast them away completely. So this is a very fit name for the things that came on in the history, onto the end of the body, in the form of paganism that was brought into the so-called Christian church, married into it, and caused the complete deterioration of the body. And it fits us in this day and time in the sense that if we go or want to go and bring into the body things that pertain to the world that we know are wrong, 
And some have done this in the past. There have been doctrines in the truth, in the body, as we know them. They may still be. I think there are. Myself, that are direct descendants of this pagan church, this very woman Jezebel. So there again is something for us to guard against and to watch for in our lives in the body. And we at this time, especially so, because we're living in a time of the resurgence of this very woman, Jezebel, that Dr. Thomas brings out so plainly, applies to the Catholic Church. And we, all we have to do is pick up our newspaper and read a little, and we find how she has resurged in the eyes of mankind the world over in the very last few years. So we know that this type of thing destroys the truth and it makes it into a lie. We know that God does not have anything to do with a lie. Now then, when we have passed this stage, what would come next? Now let's review just a little. The body has at this stage lost its first love, grown complacent, perverted its own doctrines and social practices, and taken in the worldly, social, and religious practices from the outside. Now then, the next letter we study shows what would naturally follow a case at this time. And again, it goes in a downward direction. Of the Ecclesia of Sardis, John says, I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. They considered themselves, just as the people around us in the world today, they considered themselves saved in the sight of God through Christ. We hear that expression constantly as we listen to their preachers and the very people talk themselves. They consider themselves saved. In their own sight, they have a name that they live. Yet in the sight of God, they are dead, because we know, in reading the Word of God, that he says that they are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenant of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Being without God, they are only could possibly be in this dead condition. They have lost their faith, the faith that made them different in the world around them and brought them under the saving power of God. And Paul says that faith, they, they, did, they had a form of faith, but their works had deteriorated to where they no longer supported it. And faith, as James says, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. So it was a form of faith Yet it was a dead faith, and no longer the true faith that has the saving power. Now then, we see that these letters are following a natural sequence of events. That as the body takes in foreign matter, it deteriorates in the true sense of the word. We too by doing these things, taking in worldly things, by resting the scriptures, growing complacent, 
we weaken our faith, which leads to stoppage of our works, and we kill ourselves in this very sense of the word. And it leads not only to our individual death, but the death of the household itself. As the, as the scripture says, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. If we do not watch and try to keep these things under control. And that is not only a spiritual death, but it's a physical death at the judgment seat as well. Now then, the next letter is a letter to the Ecclesia of Philadelphia. Now in this letter there is a comforting note, and yet there is a very saddening note. It shows that there are still a few, as John was prophesying that there would be, that were true to God. Even after all these conditions that we spoke of had come on the body, there were a few that still were true to God. And it speaks of them in this term. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not, hast not denied my name. Now that shows the terrible toll that was taken by these other events that we have studied. They have decreased till they have only a little strength. The believers of God have become few in number. And I feel that that is a very apt description of the body today. And it is more so as we go along. Because if we are not fewer in actual number in comparison to the past few years, which I am not aware of, I don't know the comparison, but percentage-wise in the world, the body of true believers is smaller now, I guess, than it has been in many, many years. We are like the Ecclesia of Philadelphia. We are few in number or of little strength. But our responsibility lies in the fact to defend this position and keep what little strength we still might have and to not deny the name of God as they were commended for not doing here. And if we fail in this, we come again to another natural step in this sequence of events which leads us to the message written to the Laodicean Ecclesia that I spoke of earlier which is indeed a sad state of affairs. John speaks of the lay of the sins and says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, in saying that John says this, I'm sure you're aware of the fact that these are the words of the Lord written through John. This description brings to mind the nation of Israel. As pointed out in Isaiah 65 and 5, I won't read the verse, but I'll give the contents of it, that from being a sweet savor in the nostrils of God, they had become nothing but an irritating smoke to him. Of course, that was speaking of their sacrifices and their incense and so forth. 
But they have become distasteful to them. And the Laodiceans have become distasteful to them. And the fact that they were lukewarm. Now we know that in drinking coffee, tea, that either hot or cold, they're refreshing and pleasing to the taste. But when they reach a lukewarm stage, you just can't hardly keep them in your mouth. They're bitter. They taste bad. There's nothing pleasing about them whatsoever. Nothing but refreshing. Now that was the state that the Laodiceans had reached. And it's a state that we can reach if we're not on our guard against these influences in the body. It brings to mind that uh, their attitude to God speaks there that they said that I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. They had got as the world has been brought out in lectures here and classes here that the world around us today is trying to live without God. They have need of nothing from Him, they say. They're self-sufficient to themselves. And that is the state, the sad state, that the Laodicean Ecclesia had reached. For as Christ said, they were like the salt that had lost its flavor, its savior. It wasn't fit for the land. It wasn't fit for the dunghill. No practical use whatsoever, but just to be cast away. And our materialistic world that we live in this, in this day makes it very easy for us to have this same attitude that we have everything we need and we have no need of God if we don't keep constantly in our mind these very things. There's not anything we are promised in the way of material things. Our promises are involved in the things promised for the kingdom. Now then, in looking back over history, we find that these very prophecies, the conditions of the body, have come to pass in the very minutest detail. And I think that they're coming to pass again, in a sense, in the body of today, in the body of today. That some of us, possibly, have lost our first love. We no longer have the zeal of the first love of those that come into the truth. Many of us have gone careless, not on our guards against these worldly things. Some of us are willing to rest the scriptures into interpretations that are false and that make the scriptures into a lie. And possibly some of us are willing for fleshly gains and for the esteem of men to allow things of the world to come into the body, to weaken it, to bring it down in the sight of God in the way of deterioration. But I hope that none of us have reached the state of the lay of the sin, of being fit for nothing but to be thrown out as a tasteless salt of Christ's word. Because we know that we have reached the state 
spoken of above this one, and that is, we have become few in number. We are not anymore a large, powerful body, as the believers at one time were. And we are in the state of the being of a small number. I'd like to turn to Acts 20, 28 through 30, and look at a course of action we are to take. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Now Christ's description of these things, or these type of people, were as wolves in sheep's clothes. And Paul says that as these things arise, that we are to prove all things, but to hold fast to that which is good, to let go of anything that's not good, but to hold fast only that which is good, to mark those that cause offenses and division and avoid them, to withdraw from those teaching falsehood and causing trouble, and those walking disorder, and above all, to separate ourselves from the world around us in every sense of the word. Because he's, uh, we find in Peter, 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, that we have trials ahead of us that are going to be worse than the trials behind us. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad with exceeding joy. And he goes on in the 17th through the 19th verses. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be? of them that obey not the gospel of God. For if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their soul to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. And it might very well be that if we don't commit ourselves to God in this sense, that we don't become aware of the conditions that are ahead for the body, the conditions that we live in at this time, and to heed these warnings that are given, it might very well be said, when Christ comes, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on the earth.
Thank you, Brother Kelly. Perilous times. Thank you for pointing out to us the unacceptable state wherein we could be found. For pointing out to us the perils whereby we might begin in order to enter in order to enter, end up in such a state. And for pointing out to us that since we are surrounded by these perils, we dare not turn our backs for fear of being overtaken and dragged along, but that we must face them and counteract them. Instead of accepting them, maybe to ourselves and considering them blessings. <clears throat> 